This episode is brought to you by Verizon. Get a Verizon Business Unlimited plan from the network businesses rely on. Hey, Monica, with 5G Ultra Wideband in many more cities, you get up to 10 times the speed at no extra cost. Hello, downloads in no time. Plus, unlimited premium data and hotspot data to keep the signal flowing and your teams going. Come in or book an appointment with a Verizon business expert to find the right plan for your team. 5G Ultra Wideband available in over 1,700 cities with Business Unlimited Pro 2.0 smartphone plan. Speed comparison is to median Verizon 4G LTE speeds. Download speeds may vary depending upon network and coverage conditions and content optimization for 5G Ultra Wideband. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a monster truck driver to deliver pizza. And the neighbors are going wild. You can hear that engine from a mile away, Fran. And he's foregoing the driveway and heading right up the lawn and over the azaleas. What a power move. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. With six-foot tires and a roll cage, this pizza guy could quite literally crush the competition. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today over to our election special and is going to be booted up momentarily and i'm going to take this opportunity to just give you a rundown of who's on deck we have chris crane from forefront ventures david culver from canopy growth john sullivan from Cusco labs and nick etten from acreage holdings and we're bringing in Anne right now i see her little icon there she's got the the hat on and there she is <laughs> Hi, Tony. How are you? I'm I'm feeling a little embarrassed. Your microphone looks way cooler than mine. I'm super professional. Yes. Super I don't know if you know who I am. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, for the folks who don't know who you are, uh, I'm a fan of your podcast. Uh, tell yeah. those who are listening um, what you're about, what your show's about, and let them know you're real. Yeah. So uh, we co-host, um, have produced and co-hosted The Green Rush, um, a podcast that is the intersection of cannabis culture and the capital markets now for three years, which I can't believe. Um, we recorded our 150th episode um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and thank you so much. Um, you know, and our day jobs are, are at, this is a passion project for us, but our day jobs are at KCSA Strategic Communications, where we have um, a public and investor relations uh, um agency and we uh, specialize in the cannabis. We have a, a big specialty in the cannabis space. So um, we've kind of grown up in the industry over the last seven years and decided a couple of years ago to, to start a podcast to wade in. Um, and it's just allowed us to talk to some really, really cool people um, who are who are building this industry. Yeah, you got some really great guests. And uh, I, I listened to the episode most recently uh, with the uh, Cannabis Wine Company. Um, oh, House of Saka. House of Saka. That that yeah. was a great episode. Of all the episodes that you've done, all 150 of them, I don't want to put you on the spot, but what are some of your favorites? Um, you know, I, I mean, the the high profile ones kind of stick out. Um, Earl Blumenauer, who um, you know has been so instrumental to this industry, he's been on a couple of times. He's a great friend of the show. Um, you know, we recently did Kevin Smith, who as a Jersey girl, um, so <laughs> yeah, so he was so cool. And he, I mean, our show's usually forty five minutes to you know to an hour, and he just ran for like you know, an hour and 40 minutes and our producers like texting us being like, let him go. It's great. He's so, a talker. Uh, Silent Bob is not very silent. Silent Bob is, <laughs> he's making up for it. He's making up for it yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, you know, and uh, Jim Belushi was incredible. Um, you know, he's uh, a lot of people, you know, think when they think of celebrities getting into the cannabis space, um, you know, it, it sometimes doesn't feel that authentic. It feels like they're just slapping their name on a brand and, and some of them are doing that. And God bless. Yeah. Um, but this is really something that's a passion project for Jim. And you got, you really just got a great feeling from him that he wants to do good in the world. Um, and that this is part of his, 
part of his giving back. Um, and, and that was a fascinating, that was a real pinch me kind of moment too. So Yeah, and I think that's a great point because that's how we started this uh, whole Benzinga Cannabis uh, two-hour special off. We talked about the authenticity mm-hmm. of celebrity-backed brands and there's a difference between celebrities actually doing the work yeah. and just slapping their name on it. Yeah. Um, so like there was the news today about... Um, and I'm not saying that they're just slapping their name on it because uh, she's a CEO and professional in her own right, but Gwyneth Paltrow is involved with CAN, the, the uh, mm-hmm. beverage tonic, uh, along with uh, Rebel Wilson and Ruby Rose, which I thought was kind yeah. of cool news announcement. And uh, yeah, the guests today on the Benzinga Cannabis Hour, they, they work with celebrities in their own right. So it's, it's this big movement where there's a difference between folks who are just hawking products yeah. and folks who really want to put uh, good products out there. And I mean, and, and Jim is an example of a guy who is like in the soil every day. He plays music for his plants. Um, he names them. <laughs> I mean, there is there is a real culture around, you know, what he's building there. Um, and, you know, and I do think that that for some of these celebrities, the brands, it, it works. It, it, it aligns with, you know, who they are as people. It is authentic a lot of different ways, which which I think is great. It's what this industry needs. Yeah, and uh, true ambassadors of, of the industry, yeah. or guys like uh, Snoop Dogg and Tommy Chong, like there's an authenticity yep. that they have. And sure. uh, today, definitely authentic guests today. I mean, the folks behind uh, Cresco Labs and and Forefront, um, uh, what else do we, Canopy and, and uh, Acreage Holdings. I mean, we got a good lineup and we're gonna be talking about some ser- very serious topics. Uh, what, what do you think? What, what, what could these folks bring to the dialogue in terms of what the cannabis industry is in for post November 3rd? <laughs> wow, big question. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I think the next two weeks are gonna be really interesting um, because I don't think we're gonna know on November 3rd. I, mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong, but I hope, um, you know, and I think there is gonna be this huge reset for the country, almost regardless of what happens. Um, so I think that um, that these guys are are you know have been in the industry a really long time, um, and they've they've weathered other storms. Um, so this is just another storm um, that that they're they're probably all really geared up to go through. Um, and you know I think. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting. There's a lot of caveats when we ask about predictions. There's a lot of um, you know, uh, politics is almost just sucking out the oxygen in every room. So, um, you know, I think that, (laughs) right. I mean, everywhere you talk, (laughs) what are you doing next week? Or how are you, you know, we have the day off and I'm like, I'm so grateful we have the day off, but I'm also very, I want to be busy. I, 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 you know, I have joked that I'll be stress eating until I start stress drinking. So, you know, what are your favorite stress foods? Uh, Pizza. I am a big fan of the Trader Joe's. No, the Trader Joe's cheese crunchies, the baked ones. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Trader Joe's ice cream sandwiches yeah. were mine for a while. That was mm. my, uh, okay. <laughs> that was a great okay. snack. I respect that. Yeah. But we have, <laughs> um, we have a, a couple of topics we're going to get to. Uh, we got the, we're going to address um, the Moore Act and the States Act and, and what's at stake for those, uh, depending on the winner. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, I guess, the, the, First time, I believe, in history that uh, decriminalizing cannabis was mentioned on a major platform uh, during the uh, vice presidential debate. Uh, what else? I mean, there, there, there's just an endless list of topics. I mean, we have them for how long? I think we're going for an hour. Uh, I don't know when we're bringing them in. Uh, what's the uh, setup here? It's about, uh, I think they're coming in a little bit, right? I think so. 
Well, we'll wait on word from that. Let's see. Okay. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about the, the state issues and the ballot initiatives. Um, you know, I think that from a federal standpoint, probably nothing's going to change in the next year or six yeah. months. So I think these state races are still really important. So um, let's well, hear what they have We to also say have, um, I, I came up with a story recently that um, there's a, a delay sometimes in when cannabis is legalized, either medically or recreationally. Um, you know, it can go for months, maybe even years. I mean, just years. ask Massachusetts, right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting a question from my producer. Uh, yeah, we can bring them in now. Uh, I'll shut, you know, give them a shout out. And um, yeah, hopefully they're on deck and, and we'll get this conversation going. We have John queued up, David. Let's see who else is on board. Hi, John and David. Hello. Welcome, guys. How are you? Really good. Thank you. Hey, guys. You got the kitchen backdrop. All right. It's the kitchen. All, all politics is kitchen conversations, right? It's the kitchen table. I love it. David, nice to talk to you again. We had a nice little uh, fireside chat last time. Good to see you as well. Thanks for having me today. Oh, thanks for joining. So, yeah, let's uh, let's tee this conversation off. Let's uh, let's get the ball rolling. Uh, I had uh, told Anne uh, before we hit record that um, one of the things that really struck me uh, about, I guess, the, the past month, uh, because cannabis is so in the dialogue now in terms of legalization, and I, I, I was wrestling with how to really tee off this conversation, because on, on one end, the big topic is it, decriminalization was mentioned in the vice presidential debate, and that was a big moment for cannabis professionals. But there was another moment um, for um, in another debate, the first one, where uh, the candidates were discussing um, drug use. And I, I kind of, I think cannabis has something to do with that as well, because cannabis, as you know, is often used as a, um, as an option to, in, in, as a healthier option versus uh, op opioids. And one candidate, the incumbent President Donald Trump was uh, uh, quite frankly, for lack of a better word, attacking uh, the other candidate, uh, Joe Biden, and his son's uh, drug addiction. And as uh, com company execs who are involved in that space in terms of what's in medical cannabis and, and how that is and how drugs are used in, in, uh, or referred to in the country, uh, what was your take on that? Because I think it's very interesting to uh, discuss just the tone from the two different parties. One was very much about shame and, and, and criminalization versus the other, which it was about um, being, you know, loving and um, rehabilitation versus uh, incarceration. And we can so start I, with, uh, yeah, John Sullivan I, or David, anybody can jump in if you want. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I'll, I'll say, you know, um, I think one of the things all of us deal with on a daily basis is that there are states and places where people can walk into a store and purchase cannabis legally for uh, adult use, recreational purposes. And there are still other places where people are going to jail for cannabis in the same country. Um, it's absurd. Um, and, you know, just to, and, and, you know, we, I think, are still all involved in conversations all day with policymakers 
who still have kind of that attitude that that Trump had, or at least he showed uh, during that debate where, um, you know, drugs, you know, are a disparagement or like we can't have an honest conversation about, you know, the medical uses of marijuana or how it helps people get off of opiates. You know, I, there's enough data out there to show all of those things now. And yet there is still, you know, we still work every day to uh, demystify, destigmatize uh, cannabis uh, on a daily basis. And, I, you know, it's one reason this election is important. You know, you touched on it a little bit. We're seeing uh, several states with referendums on the ballot. All the poll numbers suggest that, you know, legalizing cannabis, you know, polls in this, you know, in the high 60s everywhere you go, you know, it's like the, the, the narratives have changed pretty much for the common man, but it's certainly there are still a lot of policymakers that um, don't have that view. Right. We can go down the line here, David or Chris or Nick. Let's start with David. Yeah, I'll just add to John's comments, which I agree with completely. Um, I, it, I, I just always go back to the normalization. Um, and that's why this election is so important. You know, you've got the five ballot initiatives. Uh, you've got a very um, con you know, significant contrast between the Republican candidate, President Trump and, and Vice President Biden, as you laid out in your question. Uh, and a lot for the cannabis community is going to hinge on what happens on, on November the 3rd. But the more states that are able to embrace uh, medical or adult use, uh, the more normalized this product becomes and the more comfortable people with it are uh, across the country. But we as a, as a nation need to make sure that we do not uh, legalize this product without dealing with the decriminalization of it as well and the expungement of records, uh, to John's point that he made earlier. There's you know, still hundreds of thousands of people that are arrested every single year for nonviolent cannabis offense. It's typically four times more than uh, all violent uh, crime put together. There are still tens of thousands of people sitting in jail uh, for cannabis related offenses. And that's just, it's got to stop. Um, so, you know, I'm, I was very uh, heartened when I heard uh, Senator Harris talking about decriminalization as you referenced in your opening remarks. Um, and I do think that this campaign uh, if they are elected, uh, they are going to make some very, take some very significant steps next year. Yeah. So while we're talking about if they're elected, um, let's say Biden wins, but the Republicans hold the Senate. Um, what happens in terms of the Moore Act? And then what happens in terms of the States Act? Um, you know, what can we expect in the first, you know, year? Uh, I guess I'll throw that to Chris and then maybe to Nick. Yeah, unfortunately, um, under that scenario, I'm I'm fairly pessimistic about our chances of getting anything passed. Um, you know, I, I think the best case that we could hope for uh, in a in a scenario where Mitch McConnell remains Senate Majority Leader would be the States Act. Um, but I actually think our chances of getting the States Act passed uh, passed um, in a situation where the Democrats hold the House, the Republicans hold the Senate, and there's a Biden administration is actually worse than it is today uh, with the Trump administration, and that's not. Uh, an indictment on Biden, it's an indictment of Mitch McConnell. Uh, you know, right now, the the number one reason why Mitch McConnell, uh, that Mitch McConnell would have to advance something like the States Act um, through the Senate is to provide a win to Cory Gardner, um, a, a Republican senator who is endangered and in a close reelection fight. Um, Gardner is likely going to lose in November. The polling there is, is fairly overwhelmingly uh, uh, favorable towards uh, Hickenlooper. Um, and with Gardner no longer there, and you add in that you know Mitch McConnell has quite the history of being an obstructionist when the opposition party is in the White House. Uh, I think that he will likely view uh, any any 
meaningful cannabis reform legislation as something that the Democrats could claim as a victory and therefore he will oppose it. Uh, it's not necessarily ideological on, on cannabis. It's simply he, he will not want to give any victories to a Biden administration, regardless of what the issue is. So I think, unfortunately, um, that is probably a, a, a worse scenario for reform than what we have right now. And likely the only thing that we could that we could get accomplished in that situation where the Republicans hold the Senate would be safe banking, which I still think is possible uh, under that scenario, only because I think we can get that done through some sort of larger omnibus spending bill. Uh, but something like states or more, that likely has to be done as a standalone, and that uh, that that I don't think will fly under a, a McConnell-controlled Senate with a, with a Democratic White House. Mm. Nick, what do you think? Make us feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I don't disagree with Chris, but I, maybe I'll, I'll try to be uh, a bit more optimistic. Um, yeah, I, I think there's there are significant hurdles and roadblocks in front of us. Look, this is a this is a Congress that has a pretty bad track record, regardless of which pol uh, which party is 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 leading the charge in getting uh, legislation passed, especially ground groundbreaking legislation as it relates to to cannabis. So. Um, I, I, I'm a bit more optimistic. I think there's a lot of room in the conversation for Republicans as much as there are Democrats. I think ultimately they'll come around to this uh, when they begin to pay attention to the fact that this industry has created tens of thousands of jobs over the past few years and is delivering uh, millions of dollars in revenue into coffers at the state level. Uh, they'll understand, at, at least from their perspective, what what could help them get over the hurdle uh, as it relates to cannabis. Look, cannabis can be many things to many different audiences. It doesn't have to be one thing, one thing alone. But uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more optimistic, but I, I think regardless of who wins on Tuesday, we're all gonna get up and we're gonna continue to grind away uh, as we can uh, in making change happen at the federal level. but. Uh, we've all been grinding away uh, daily on, on the state level, and we're going to continue to focus on uh, the states that are in play this, uh, th this year, and uh, that's New York, uh, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and some others. David, let, let's kick it over to you a little bit. I, I, you're based in D.C., uh, and, and I would be remiss not to ask you this, but what, what's the, the vibe like over there? Is it sort of like a calm before the storm? Like, I, I can't imagine it would be pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's an interesting place to live, uh, thank you. Um, and I feel like I need to apologize when I used to travel around the world telling people where I, where I am. Um, but it is indeed the calm before the storm. Look, this is, this is gonna be a, a very historic election um, for us in the United States. Uh, let's just look at a few things. Um, number one uh, is the money. Uh, unprecedented amounts of money have gone into this uh, campaign on both sides, but especially for Biden. Uh, and I think that it's important to note that let's not think about the ad buys anymore. Let's think about the paid get out the vote efforts that they're going to be able to do in the battleground states. Let's think about the paid legal that they're going to put into state capitals because there's been hundreds of legal challenges that have already been filed. This is something that Democratic presidential campaigns haven't been able to do before. So that is historic. The early voting is historic. 70 million people have already voted 
37 million in the battleground states. 25% of those new voters or the voters are new. So this tells me that this could potentially be a, an enormous voter turnout. And if that's the case, it's going to swing towards Biden. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is that the numbers really haven't moved in a long time. We haven't seen that kind of October movement that we saw in 2016. The president's approval ratings are still at 43 with a 53 disapproval. That's a clear danger zone for an incumbent. Uh, and we're sitting here a week before the election, uh, seeing Joe Biden go into Georgia and Texas. The Democrats haven't won Georgia since 1992. Uh, <laughs> so, and I think they have a legitimate shot winning this time around. Uh, I don't think they have a shot at Texas, but you know, again, it's within the margin of error. So I think the pollsters have been careful about kind of navigating their poll numbers and making sure that they have adjusted for that quiet Trump support. Um, and I think that it's gonna be closer than what the poll numbers are showing. But uh, it's for the reasons I just outlined, I think this will be arguably the most historic presidential election that I've certainly ever seen, and we may see in quite some time. So, you know, so that's at the, at the federal level. If we could dive into some of the state elections, um, Chris, you had a great column in Forbes uh, a while back outlining um, the that you know the different ballot measures um, that. Uh, the states are that are in the states: um, Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, South Dakota, uh, Mississippi for medical. Um, can you just quickly walk us through how those are polling? Um, that'll make us feel better. It will make us feel better because <laughs> um, the polling the polling actually looks quite good, uh, almost across the board. Uh, so New Jersey, uh, where the legislature, uh, despite two years of trying, was unable to um, get their members together to pass something. And I should say, in that case, it wasn't because there wasn't uh, majority approval for legalization. There was majority approval for legalization in the legislature. It was that they couldn't agree on the details and so they kicked it to the voters. Ironically, the, the voters are getting a one paragraph uh, initiative and that's gonna send it back to the legislature to figure out those details that they couldn't get the first time around. Um, so when we talk about delays in implementation, I expect we, we may see those in Jersey uh, post ballot initiative passing, but on the initiative itself, um, it's been polling north of 60% uh, pretty consistently in polls. Um, I don't expect it'll actually get over 60% just because no legalization initiative has crossed the 60% threshold uh, in any state yet, but um, I do expect a, a pretty resounding victory in New Jersey. Uh, Montana is also polling uh, well north of 50% in just about every poll, um, uh, same in Arizona. Uh, you know, Arizona and Montana are redder states, uh, uh, Montana redder than Arizona these days, which has become pretty purple. Um, but what we've seen across the country is when a state has a fairly robust medical marijuana market and uh, the, the public is, is accustomed to having cannabis commerce in their communities, um, they are more open to voting for full legalization. Um, and you have a longstanding medical marijuana industry in both Arizona and Montana. In fact, Arizona is now the largest medical only market in the United States. Uh, you can't drive through Phoenix without seeing billboards for uh, dispensaries and, and medical cannabis products. So. Um, and, and in Arizona, you know, we, we failed there four years ago with about 48.6%. Um, so uh, I think we're, in, we're, we're on very solid footing in Arizona and Montana. Uh, Mississippi's medical marijuana initiatives are polling north of 70%. Um, they do have two competing initiatives on the ballot, but um, that's okay in this case, uh, because the way that that works is their first ask, do you want to legalize medical marijuana? And if that's above 50%, then they go to the secondary question, which is which initiative do you support? And the one of those that gets the more uh, the, the, the higher vote total will win, uh, which we think will be the citizens initiative uh, because they've had a lot more money behind their campaign. Uh, and then in South Dakota, medical marijuana has been polling north of 70% as well. So we expect that'll pass. 
adult use in South, in South Dakota is the only one that I think is a true toss up right now. Um, if I had to place a bet on it, I would bet that we don't win that one uh, for, and really for two reasons. One, because there is no medical marijuana uh, uh, system there. There's no medical cannabis commerce in the state uh, yet, so people aren't used to seeing it in their communities. Uh, but also because you have medical on the ballot and adult use, my guess is that there's going to be a portion of the population that decides, let's go slow. I'm going to vote for medical, but I'm going to wait a little bit for adult use. And so my guess is when this all comes in, we probably lose that one somewhere in the 46 to 48% range. Um, but I hope I'm wrong. I, I really hope that we wake up uh, on November 4th or I don't know, January 4th, whenever we actually know who, who wins the elections this year. Uh, and, uh, and we find out that we've swept all, all five of those ballot initiatives. So lots of reason for optimism there. All right. Well, hopefully we'll get optimism with the next topic because I want to switch it over to uh, investments or investors rather. And I'm going to start with John. Uh, cannabis investors are obviously watching the election closely. Uh, what do you think of a, a Biden administration does to the markets? Because uh, typically, Republicans are thought of as the pro-business party, but that's not the case with the cannabis industry, right? So, what do we have to expect uh, for the markets on on the either the, you know with the, with the Biden administration and with the Trump administration? Now, I'm going to start with you, John, and then we'll kick it over to uh, Nick, and then I would love to get David and Chris's uh, takes after that. Sure. I, you know, I think uh, cannabis investors, uh, a Biden administration, uh, you know, I'd be pretty bullish uh, on the cannabis market. And, you know, um, I think, you know, it wasn't too long ago that Jeff Sessions was the attorney general and there was a lot of uncertainty uh, for our industry. I think, you know, one thing a Biden administration does is it brings it brings a certain level of certainty and comfort with cannabis. We know that we're not going to go backwards. Right. It gives us uh, that security that there is going to be at least incremental progress going forward. So I think, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, a side note to that is, you know, one of the things that's happened throughout the country is we were deemed essential businesses in, right. you know, in, in the states that we were in, right? So if I'm a cannabis investor, I know all of these governors have already gone out and said, you know, these are essential businesses. They need to remain open during a pandemic. Uh, and now you put the Biden administration on top of that. Um, you know, I think both you see both state and a federal trend that is definitely trending in the right, right way for the cannabis industry. So um, you know, from that vantage point, I would continue to be bullish, um, or actually would become very bullish. Um, uh, Trump staying in or reelect Trump. Um, and, you know, I think maybe even more importantly to Chris's earlier point, um, a Mitch McConnell still held Senate. Um, you know, things just aren't going to happen that quickly. Again, I think the tide's turning. Even Republican governors were calling us essential, right? You look at Pennsylvania, Ohio, or, you know, Ohio, certainly Republican governor. Um, you look at those trends. Um, so that tells me that the tide is turning even then. It's just going to be much slower, much more incremental growth. Um, and, you know, it's a likelihood of uh, legislation. As Chris said earlier, maybe we get safe banking as part of the Economic Recovery Act. Um, I'm pushing people to use terms like Cannabis Recovery Act. You know, the more we talk about that, when you look at the I mean, the, the job growth that we're seeing from the cannabis industry, the amount of job, jobs created, the tax revenue that's brought in. I mean, every state, every municipality needs this now. And to think that they won't be telling whoever the president is um, that we need cannabis reform and cannabis to happen now for jobs and for health and for, um, you know, all the benefits that it brings. Um, you know, I, I, I think we see growth either way. But yes, a Biden administration, to me, uh, I would be a lot more bullish on. Nick, chime in here. I, I think whichever direction it goes, if 
as an investor, I would go long on cannabis. Um, definitely a, a Biden presidency is, is a smoother path and we're going to see more activity and, and I, uh, legislation, I, I believe, move uh, faster. Uh, but the reality is, John brought something up that I, I don't think uh, a lot of people have been talking about, and it's kind of gotten lost in the in the news cycle the last few months, which is this has been a watershed moment for cannabis uh, during COVID. Uh, we went, we have gone from a, a product that was uh, essentially illegal uh, throughout most of the country a few years ago. To, to being deemed uh, an essential product and service uh, coming out of the gates uh, with COVID. Uh, the only state that we, we faced a delay in was Massachusetts. It was about a month. The rec markets or adult use markets were then uh, opened up. But I, I think that, uh, I, I think what's been demonstrated over the past seven months by the industry and having been deemed essential uh, during COVID is is absolutely fundamental shift. And uh, if I would say to all investors, continue to go long on cannabis. David, I'll just add a couple points to to all of that. I agree with everything these two fine gentlemen have said. Uh, I think that uh, you know we may see some action. Uh, in the lame duck period as well. Um, so in the CBD space, we could see uh, dietary supplement lane being opened up potentially. There's a lot of chatter about that right now. And once the politics are behind uh, these elected officials, they may be able to act on that. Um, also, there is an ironclad promise from House leadership to pass the MORE Act uh, during the lame duck period. That'll be a historic vote. Uh, and that's something that's gonna get a lot of attention uh, for publicly traded cannabis stocks. Um, and then I think everybody saw this week that uh, if the Senate does flip, Senator Schumer made it very clear that he's going to shepherd through uh, cannabis full legalization package in the first six months of next year. So uh, there's all sorts of events that could potentially happen, uh, especially if there's a Dem sweep. Uh, that's why, again, as we started this conversation, why November 3rd is so critical. And then the final thing I'll say is like, is that uh, let's be very clear that there are a lot of very well-financed uh, consumer packaged goods companies that are sitting on the sidelines and watching this very, very closely um, and getting ready to jump in. And once that begins, uh, it's just going to snowball in my opinion. Um, and as Nick said, uh, I think it's important that you go long on cannabis. Well, Chris, let me uh, tweak the question a little bit. Like say you have uh, Mitch McConnell in a room right now or on Zoom rather. Uh, do you echo the points that these gentlemen made? How do you convince uh, Mr. Charisma himself that uh, a can cannabis legalization is the way to go? Well, I think you appeal to uh, the economic benefits that the, that the country sees from, uh, from uh, legalized cannabis. Um, and I think one of the ways that we do that is we, you know, we, 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 we could really point out the fact that you know, despite, despite the fact that we have legal cannabis in states all across the country, the lack of federal legalization is really ceding control of what should be the next great American industry to Canadians. Uh, right now, the largest, the largest cannabis companies in the world are Canadian companies. Um, and that is because access to the emerging global cannabis markets 
uh, are essentially off limits to American companies. Um, we cannot get licenses in places like Germany, um, in, in, in a lot of places in Latin America, uh, but the Canadian companies are all playing there and they are sitting there and they are gaining a tremendous advantage um, that is not available to these American businesses. So uh, there, you know, obviously there's things like jobs, uh, job creation, ta you know, uh, uh, increased tax revenue, right? All of the benefits that we know about, but there is an emerging global cannabis industry and it is still small right now. Uh, I mean, if you look at European cannabis markets or Germany is by far the largest cannabis market in Europe right now. Uh, and they have something like 100,000 uh, registered patients uh, in a country of over 80 million people. So, and that is and that is far and away the largest in Europe. Most most countries in Europe have patient counts in the in the hundreds, let alone in the thousands. Um, so there's still there's still plenty of time for uh, for the United States and for American companies to become real players on the global scene. Uh, but that is simply impossible under uh, this this current system of of, of federal illegality around cannabis. Um, and so we, we, we need to level the playing field there, not to mention just valuations, right? I mean, the Canadian companies generally are worth uh, multiples of what their American counterparts are, despite the fact that the United States has 10 times the population of Canada. And that's because the Canadian valuations are, at this point, are largely based on speculation around uh, how much of the global market share they're going to be able to grab, whereas American companies are being valued on secondary exchanges, uh, uh, you know, based on, you know, which limited license states that they're in. Um, so we are we are really losing out on a potent, on, on, a, on a tremendous potential opportunity uh, to to dominate this global cannabis market. Um, and if we don't act soon, the, the our Canadian counterparts are simply going to eat our lunch. <laughs> More than they already are. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Nick, uh, you know, you head up government affairs over at Acreage. Let's say Biden wins. Um, what does November 4th look like for you? Um, you know, assu okay, assuming we know. What does is, what is the day after we know <laughs> look like for you guys in terms of strategy? I don't think the strategy is going to shift in any way. We're going to continue to uh, chip away at legalization at the federal level. But on November 4th, we're going to wake up and we're going to uh, grind away at our operations in our core states. Uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania. Look, I mean, this is, uh, federal legalization is important, but this is uh, still absolutely a, a state market. Uh, we've got multiple states at play as it relates to legalization. Uh, New York coming up this year, I think it's going to be really difficult for Governor Cuomo to not make this a key component of his budget given the uh, revenue shortfall that New York is looking like. Uh, as Chris mentioned earlier, the numbers in New Jersey look great and we're working on the enabling legislation right now. And I, I think it's gonna set off a, a, a domino effect uh, on, the, uh, on the East Coast. And you're, you've got states coming into play uh, such as Virginia and Maryland that people haven't even been talking about. So when you talk about the day after, we're going to wake up and just keep grinding away uh, in our core markets. Is that are you, you know, aside from you know waking up and nursing your hangover? <laughs> so, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. It, <laughs> it, it kind of cut out there for a second. What was, could you repeat the question? Oh, sorry. No, I, I'm just opening it up to to everybody else. So, John, Chris, David, you know, do, do all of you guys feel that way? That you know, it's it's really no different. Um, you know, day after election results, you know, you're you're going back to the ground. 
Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just say um, the education process changes a little bit. You know, there's going to be a lot of new faces one way or another. You know, I think uh, you're likely to see some uh, new U.S. senators who might not be as familiar with this process. Um, you know, our jobs uh, every day, it's it's meeting with state, local, national uh, figures and really educating them about cannabis. There's still a lot of questions out there. There's still a lot of uncertainty, even, you know, by some of the moderate Democrats who are in the U.S. Senate. So, um, you know, showing them what cannabis can do, giving them the numbers of the jobs that we've created, et cetera. Um, you know, so the faces change, I think, to, to Nick's point, you know, kind of the strategy is the same. You know, it's it's um, we keep hitting those same points with as many people will listen to us and uh, try and give them a roadmap to uh, what could be um, just what should be uh, a phenomenal uh, uh, worldwide industry based here in the United States, as Chris said. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I'll just add to that. This this is indeed going to be the same playbook, um, but with a couple caveats. If this is a Dem sweep, I'm going to wake up on November 4, and I'm going to be thinking about what these executive orders could look like uh, from the White House, um, whether to decriminalize cannabis or to reschedule. It, all of the information that we've seen out of this campaign thus far has been political rhetoric, and I'd like to see something in writing. What, is it, what does it mean? Um, and that's something that you know, all of us will be looking at with our legal counsels to try to figure that out. The second thing I'm going to be thinking about, and I already have been with many of my colleagues on, on this panel, is what does the regulatory structure specific to cannabis look like? So the MORE Act, which we talked about early on, that punts the entire uh, regulatory structure to the tobacco model. Well, cannabis is not tobacco. It's very different. And we need to make sure that we have a, a federal solution there that uh, actually is sophisticated and is specific to cannabis uh, so that we don't have the same situation the beverage alcohol has. I worked in alcohol for 16 years. I spent most of my career trying to nibble around the edges to tweak a system from 1933. Let's create a 21st century model uh, that actually works for cannabis. Um, and that that's the other big piece. And I think that leaders on the Hill are ready to start to think about that regulatory structure, the tax structure, et cetera, uh, as we go into uh, whether it's the MORE Act 2.0 or any other piece of legislation that they're thinking about in the next Congress. Yeah, I would, I would, I mean, I, I would echo uh, what David said. I think that's exactly right. Uh, you know, from a day-to-day -day operations standpoint, um, I, I agree with Nick. You know, we continue doing what we're doing, focusing on core markets, focus on our operational strategy. Right? It's going to take a long time. Uh, even if something significant gets passed, it's going to take a long time for it to get implemented. And so, I don't think there's much of a change in day-to-day -day business operations. On the political side, though. Um, you know, I think we need to be immediately thinking about how do we interface with this new administration if it is a Biden administration, um, because I think that, you know, even if we have a situation where we have the Mitch McConnell controlled Senate, um, you know, I, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm very pessimistic about our ability to get any meaningful reform passed uh, through Congress. But there's a lot that can be done at the executive level, uh, a lot that can be done through executive orders on things like 280E, on even on even on things like banking, on enforcement, on interstate commerce. Um, and I'm I am I would say strangely optimistic on our, about our ability to get that done in a Biden administration. And, and I say strangely because you know I, I was working at Normal in you know from 2000 to 2006. Uh, and back then, like we had two enemies on the Democratic side of the aisle in the Senate, and that was Dianne Feinstein and Joe Biden. Um, they were the worst, uh -huh. the, the worst Democrats in, uh, in, 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 in certainly in the Senate, if not all of Congress. Um, Feinstein still sucks on this issue, um, but Biden has gotten better. Um, you know, he's not. He, he's. He, I, I, I like to say his his position today is basically Barack Obama's position in 2008, which is pretty unacceptable for a Democrat in 2020. 
but we can work with it, right? His vice president uh, would be, have been the sponsor of the MORE Act. And the Democratic, and the thing that makes me most optimistic is that Democratic Party leadership by and large, and the Democratic Party by and large, has really come a long way since the Obama administration on this issue. And if Joe Biden is known for one thing, it's really understanding where the center of the Democratic Party is. And people like to talk about Joe Biden as a centrist, and that's true, but he's kind of a Democratic Party centrist. Um, and I don't see Joe Biden drawing a line in the sand on this issue and being willing to fully take on his party on this. Um, so I think there is a chance that we get something done. You know, the last four years, there's been virtually nothing done at the federal level, which, you know, if you said, if you told me that 12 years ago, I just said, that's terrific, right? Nothing was a huge improvement over what we had in the Clinton administration and in the Bush administration, where they were actively, you know, cracking down on medical cannabis commerce and sending in, you know, DEA thugs with guns to go raid dispensaries. And we had to do raid trainings for dispensary workers back in the day. That wasn't that long ago, right? But those days are gone. The Trump administration, to their credit, has largely been a continuation of the Obama administration when it comes to their enforcement over cannabis. But I think we've gotten to the point now where doing nothing is no longer enough. And I think if we have four more years of a Trump administration, we're probably looking at four more years of doing nothing. I would be a little bit concerned uh, in a second term Trump administration about Attorney General Barr, um, who has shown that he is willing to use um, things like the antitrust department of the DOJ to go after um, cannabis businesses, you know, not sending in the jackboot thugs from the DEA, but doing it in a way that is much more under the radar. You had a whistleblower go before Congress and say, and, and, and say that, uh, that Attorney General Barr has real animosity towards this industry. And I think him being empowered in a second term without the prospect of, of a Trump reelection, I worry a little bit about what he might do. You know, again, not, not, I don't think he sends back in the troops. Um, but there are a lot of ways that the DOJ can, can, can mess with the industry. But outside of that, I think it's largely status quo, but status quo is no longer good enough. And I am optimistic that under a Biden administration, we can get real change accomplished through executive actions and through executive orders, even if Congress isn't willing to play ball. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, you mentioned, you know, which politicians can play ball and who would draw lines in the sand and I, I, it kind of reminded me of something that uh, David actually brought up on our fireside chat at the uh, Benzinga Cannabis uh, Capital Conference, that uh, Biden was actually uh, the guy who came forward and, and uh, supported gay marriage at a time. I know it's not, you know, it's not an industry related thing, but it is, uh, you know, it, it's com comparable to, um, I guess, a politician tweaking a point of view and uh, tweaking it, their approach without, at the risk of sounding like uh, you know they're flip-flopping or something. But uh, I want to hear your thoughts on that, on just uh, approaching these uh, officials, as as uh, you guys said, um, getting their getting them to change their minds, because uh, Biden certainly has done that in the past. He was the one that uh, catalyzed that in the Obama administration for gay marriage. What would be the equivalent here? I mean, it sounds like he's on board with uh, Senator Harris and what she wants to do. Um, John Boehner uh, was a Republican politician who is now uh, very much involved in CBD. Uh, just down the line, give me your thoughts on, on what it's like to, what, what needs to happen in terms of uh, changing a, a, a politician's point of view on this. You want me to start? Yeah, I think that I'm sorry. I, I that I apologize. David would be a good person to start because you're the one who ins sort of inspired that uh, follow-up question. Okay, um, so I, I think I mentioned earlier everything that we've heard out of the Biden Biden Harris ticket thus far has been political rhetoric. 
Uh, and the furthest that they've been willing to go during this campaign silliness is decriminalization and rescheduling. So after this is over with, and if they win, I'm certainly going to go back to them and I'm going to have the conversation about where are you really? Uh, because they don't have the political pressure anymore. And the parallels between 2008, as you referenced, and marriage equality and where we are right now are so amazing and yet ironic that Joe Biden is right in the middle of this again. <laughs> so the fact that Senator Harris is his running mate and she was the co-sponsor of the Moore Act in the Senate uh, and has very strong opinions and, very, and she's been very vocal publicly about them, uh, about cannabis. And as you referenced earlier, she made a comment during the vice presidential debate. I think that she actually is going to be a very positive influence uh, on him uh, as they as we go through this process next year, as we go through executive action, as we go through action on Capitol Hill potentially. Um, and I think the really the big question in my mind is do they move off of the position that they are currently in at all prior to next year if they win? And then also, um, what do they do if a bill is to pass Congress and ends up on President Biden's desk? Does he sign it? Um, and I, I think uh, that he will, uh, to your point earlier about kind of getting more in line uh, with the Democratic Party. And we know full well that the left in the, on the, Dem in the Democratic side is going to be more vocal in 2021 than they were this time around. Uh, they're going to feel much more empowered. There's going to be a lot of nervous people on Capitol Hill running for reelection, especially some of those in the Senate. Um, and I think that cannabis is an issue that they're going to need to harness in order to win, and they're going to let the White House know. John, and we'll go over to Nick. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think it, uh, it's time for the apology tour for the, you know, the crime bill <laughs> of the 90s. I mean, quite yeah. frankly, like we still have a lot of uh, senators who were there who voted for it, including Biden, right? Um, and what the effect of that was, was disproportionately impacting, you know, black and brown communities throughout this country, right? And they have now, if and when Biden wins, um, they have rallied behind a person who, who voted for that act, right? Who supported it, was one of the champions of it. And, you know, I think everybody now admits that it was a huge mistake. And, and part of that is what has been the over-policing of cannabis. And I think every Democrat, right, immediately, with all the civil unrest that has gone on in this country, is going to have to take a hard look at at least making sure uh, that cannabis is no longer illegal federally where we are putting people in jail for it. And as soon as you start having that conversation, which needs to happen right away, it has to happen right now. As soon as you start having that conversation, then all of these other things uh, fall into place. Well, if it's not going to be illegal and we're going to you know, let everybody out of jail who's in jail for it now, which is a moral imperative, um, what are we going to do with it? And so I, you know, I don't think um, that uh, with that history, that historical context for this, that it's, it's a topic that can be ignored by Congress for, for a long time. I'll, I'll bring it back to, I, thanks, John. I grinded away at it, right? I mean, I, uh, Chris has been working at this and on this issue. Uh, but Chris, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to disclose age, but you probably 20 years, right? I, this is, this, uh, cannabis legalization is, is, is not something that has happened overnight, uh, nor will it, uh, regardless of, of, of who's victorious uh, next week. And so again, I, I come back to this, uh, this idea that uh, is the industry and advocates, we need to continue to grind away. Look, you, you ask how, how do you get uh, opponents, right? Generally Republicans to, to change their mind on this, show them where their voters are, right. show them, show them 
get back to the roots of demonstrating to them patients who live in their district, veterans who need access to cannabis as medicine. You run down that, that veteran narrative, veterans are still stuck in a very challenging position where they rely on a federal health system uh, that is not effectively serving them uh, and are choosing cannabis, which has been safer and more reliable medicine for them, yet uh, they're exposed, uh, their, their VA uh, rights are exposed because they're technically breaking federal law. So we've got to get back to showing and demonstrating to these lawmakers uh, personally the patients that they're helping, the lives that they're changing, the, uh, the individuals who are no longer going to jail uh, for something that is incredulous that they went to in, in the first place. And then look, I mean, this is an industry, show them the jobs, show them the revenue. Uh, I, I know the industry was, was pretty effective a few years ago in, uh, in, in, in getting legislatures out to see what a cultivation facility looks like what a retail location looks like. I, I think a lot of that, I, I think some of that was, was, was kind of lost the last couple of years uh, because it, 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 it just was. But one thing that I remind myself, yeah, I, uh, you have to remember a, a lot of these legislators, they, 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 haven't, they haven't seen the cannabis industry, they haven't experienced it. They, they don't have firsthand knowledge and, and so, it comes back to grinding away. Uh, it can, comes back to grinding away, getting incremental wins, and, and demonstrating to legislators how uh, how this works for them. Yeah, I, I would agree with. I mean, I, I would agree with everything that's been said on, on, on this particular issue. You can't. I can't understate the importance of getting elected officials out to see these facilities. Uh, we've done lots of tours of our of our facilities with uh, electeds in a number of states, including some who have been. Um, you know, on the fence about this issue before they came. And when they walk through and they see the, you know, the security protocols in place, they see the professionalism, the SOPs, how happy the workers are, uh, the jobs that are being created in their districts, uh, you know, they, 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 it, it, it helps change their mind. Uh, that on top of, you know, the, the number one thing that we've seen turn political, uh, political opinions on this or politicians' opinions on this is meeting patients um, or having somebody in their family suffer from an illness and see a benefit for medical cannabis. And so that one-on-one -on -one personal interaction, I think, is incredibly important. Um, and then there's also, you know, appealing to uh, their, their, their political self-interest. Um, and that's a little bit of a different argument, I think, when you're dealing with Democrats or dealing with Republicans. Um, but the reality is this issue is overwhelmingly popular. Medical marijuana enjoys close to 90% support nationwide. Uh, full legalization enjoys 60 plus percent support legal, uh, uh, nationwide. Um, it's even higher among young voters. You know, the Republican Party in particular has a, has a problem right now with young voters um, and voters of color. And this issue is overwhelmingly popular amongst those voters. And if the Republican Party wants to find a way to not lose those voters for a generation, um, this is it, you know, th th this, th getting them to come around on this issue is a great way to do it. Um, similarly for Democrats, if they want to continue to hold those voters, right, they need to give the vote, those voters what they, what they want, give them, why, give them the issue, one of the issues that they voted for, for you for in the first place. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to come off here as anti-Republican on this issue because I don't think this is, this is a partisan issue. Uh, 
And in fact, what we're seeing amongst the Republican Party by and large is that rather than this being a partisan issue, it's a generational issue. Mm. Uh, young Republicans by and large, Republicans under the age of 50 or so, they're majority in, in our favor. And I mean that, and I mean elected officials, right? I don't just mean the voting public, but Republicans in general are about 50% supportive of this issue as a whole, younger Republicans even more so. Um, but amongst elected officials, younger, younger Republicans by and large are there with us. It's the older Republicans who are still mostly stuck in this outdated war on drugs uh, mentality. And unfortunately, you know, if you look around leadership in the Senate, it's not the youngest group of people, right? I mean, it's yeah. a lot of, you know, septonoctogenarians there and, and Mitch McConnell, you know, himself included. So this is not an issue with the Republican Party rank and file. This is an issue with Republican leadership right now um, in, in, in the House and Senate. And so part of it is just a matter of time, right? Like there's only so long the septonoctogenarians are going to be there. Um, and, uh, and this next wave of younger Republicans who are coming up, uh, I think are going to be a lot better on this issue. Um, and we need to show them as a party why it is politically beneficial for them to get on board with this issue now so that they don't continue to hemorrhage support amongst young voters who, you know, those young voters are going to be voting for a lot longer than the, you know, the 70 and 80 year olds. Yeah. David, Chris points out that this is a bipartisan issue. It's very popular on both sides. Is the sell to Democrats, is the sell to Republicans different than the sell to Democrats? No. Uh, I think that we've touched on all of the important issues. I would probably lead uh, with the economic benefits um, on the Republican side. So jobs, uh, tax revenue for states that their budget deficits or they're suffering significant budget deficits and just general uh, economic benefit for the country as we come out of COVID. Um, but I could not agree with uh, more with everything that Chris just said. This is not a partisan issue. And you know, I went around uh, to both campaigns with my little bag of tricks, and I tried to sell them on the electability of cannabis, and neither one of them bought. Uh, and, you know, we know how far the Biden campaign was willing to go, which isn't very far, although it's historic, but it's still not far enough. And the Trump campaign was not willing to embrace it. They bashed the Safe Banking Act on the Republican side over and over and over again, using talking points that they got um, from leadership. So I, I think that they're not understanding the power of cannabis, but I think that that's gonna change going into the 2022 cycle. We're getting more and more Republican legislators in state capitals and on Capitol Hill asking us to come in and talk to them about how do we talk about cannabis? Because we don't know how to do it uh, and help us to, to understand how we message it. Um, and also if a state like South Dakota with their two Republican senators and their one Republican house member gets this ballot initiative done, those members are going to have to take another look at cannabis and their policy position. And that's just one example. Uh, but we're seeing it all over the place. And we're going to see a lot more activity next year. That's going to have a direct influence on these Republican lawmakers on the Hill, and they're going to change their tune. So if I've got to come up with 60 votes for a full legalization package next year, and the filibuster is still in place, and we've got to hit 60, I'm going to be trying to find 10 Republican senators. Uh, and these ballot initiatives are really key this time around to influencing those folks and to get that 10. Yeah, to just follow up on that really quickly, like one of the best things about Illinois now 10 months into legalization is a lot of my Republican friends in Illinois are now thanking me, right? They're thanking me for $102 million in tax revenue that they wouldn't have had if we didn't uh, legalize cannabis here. 
and now and actually they've all now seen that you know the boogeyman does not show up it is not the end of the world like we create jobs good paying jobs for people um and having those republicans now talk to republican congressmen uh who are in the state of illinois and having those congressmen talk to senate like we have to do a lot of that and that's another thing we do is getting those republican voices who are champions you mentioned Speaker Boehner earlier, you know, folks like that, uh, it's critical. And, and the tide is turning, you know, again, the, Chris made the point, the Senate's just old. Uh, we got to work on that. Young people go run. <laughs> That's right. Um, you guys are, all, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot of politics here, but um, you are all publicly traded companies. Um, what are you hearing from your investor base? Um, on the election, are they are they worried? Are they sitting tight? Are they like you know? What's the feedback that you're hearing from them? Good, bad, and indifferent. I think they're asking a lot of the same questions that you guys are asking, um, right? It's it's I mean really it's 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 not so much uh, feedback. It's a lot more questions. It's a lot more you know what does it mean if Biden wins? What does it mean if Biden wins, but the Republicans hold the Senate? What does it mean if it's a Democratic sweep? Um, and so the conversation, I mean, the conversations that I've been having with investors and that my team has been having with investors around the election sounds a lot like the conversation that we're having right now uh, on this panel. Um, they just, they want to know the same things. I mean, I will say, I think if if we see a Democratic sweep and we win four, four out of five for all five of these initiatives, probably a good thing for public company stock values. Um, I mean, we tend to see when, you know, when ballot initiatives pass, uh, you know, when, when there's positive election news, you see, a, a, you, you tend to see a, a bit of a run, uh, you know, of, 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 of buying uh, publicly traded cannabis companies. You, you probably will see that in this case. Some of that may already be baked in a little bit because the polling has been so, so positive um, that people may already be buying now. Um, so maybe you don't see quite as big of a jump as you might otherwise. But I think by and large, particularly a Democratic sweep of, uh, of, of Washington, um, would be a pretty positive signal to investors. I think, and look, the investment community tends to be a fairly conservative group, tends to be much more Republican leaning than the country at large. And even, you know, even amongst the investment community that, that we've been speaking to, by and large, they're rooting for a democratic sweep this year um, if they're heavily invested in cannabis. Um, so, you know, I like to say, you know, Republicans often, we often say Republicans tend to vote their, their financial self-interest. So in this case, I'd say, uh, you know, vote like a Republican and vote Democrat. I have a follow-up question for we we don't have much time left, but I, I'd like to get this question in there because I asked it to David um, uh, on our fireside chat, but we were pressed for time there as well. But I, I, like Ann said, the next two weeks are going to be uh, contentious. It doesn't begin and end on on November third. Um, in the event that we have a contested election, does that affect? the states that have cannabis on the ballots? Because like we said, there, it takes a long time. There's a big interval between legalization and market open. There's, you know, in some cases, 14 months, 20 months, uh, 47 months in the case of Maine. Uh, does a contested election, does that affect what happens with the ballot initiatives in New Jersey, uh, South Dakota, Arizona, and so on and so forth? So, I mean, I can jump in on that. I don't think it does. Um, and uh, and, and uh, the reason, I mean, frankly, the reason being the states where we have ballot initiatives are not really the states that we're worried about a uh, contested election. Um, right? New Jersey, there's not much, there's not much uh, a question about who's gonna win at the presidential level in New Jersey. Um, Arizona is a swing state, but 
Arizona is one of the states that is, or they're already count, counting mail-in ballots. Um, Arizona has been a vote-by-mail election, a, a vote-by-mail state for, for many years, or at least they've had a strong vote-by-mail option for many years. So they are very well accustomed to counting ballots in advance of the election. So I expect we're going to know uh, who wins Arizona, both in the presidential level as well as on the uh, ballot initiative level on, on election night or, or, or by the next morning. Um, Montana and South Dakota are both, and Mississippi are all very small states. Uh, there's not a lot of ballots to count in those states. Um, so I think we're going to have results in all of the election, all the ballot initiatives, uh, either on election night or by the morning after, uh, irrespective of what happens. If we had an initiative in a state like Pennsylvania or Wisconsin, uh, or Michigan, which does not allow uh, uh, ballot counting to start until the day of the election, um, that could be a little bit of a bigger issue. Uh, but thankfully, the states that we are we are looking at for the elections, that 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 doesn't seem like it's going to be a problem. We should know uh, that night or the next morning. John, David, or uh, Nick. Uh, I agree with everything Chris said. Yeah, <laughs> I I agree completely. I mean, but look, this. This thing's going to be decided. Um, the hundreds of court challenges is, will be decided by December the 8th uh, so that we can proceed to the counting of the Electoral College votes. Um, and it may drag out if we've got some states like Florida, North Carolina, et cetera, that are razor thin. Uh, we will see this drag out until December the 8th uh, and potentially to the highest level. But if this is a five, six point uh, advantage win uh, for Biden or Trump, uh, in any one of these states, uh, that this is going to be settled relatively quickly. And keep in mind, too, that if we see uh, early on Tuesday night a victory for Vice President Biden in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Florida, this thing is over. And they will call it, uh, the media will call it for um, Vice President Biden uh, probably before midnight. So it'll, of course, still be contested, and there'll be plenty of uh, initiatives that, that will go to court and will need to be finalized before that December 8 deadline. Um, but this has the potential to be an early evening. It's just going to depend on voter turnout and whether those early swing states go in his favor. John, final thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I, listen, I agree with that. I, I personally, uh, I'm uh, an optimistic guy. I think we're going to know on election night. I think we're going to know early. Um, I think we're, all the trends that I'm seeing are headed that way. Um, I think Democrats are, are going to take the Senate, although that'll be close. You know, that'll be within a, a seat or two. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think... Uh, you know, I say joking, you know, Winston, to paraphrase Winston Churchill, right, the politics is the ability to predict today, tomorrow, next week, next year, and then uh, to explain to everybody why your predictions didn't happen. Um, so uh, you know, I'll, go out, I'll go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say both uh, Graham and McConnell will lose, and it'll be a total, uh, it'll be a grand slam home run for, uh, I'm kidding, I don't, I, that, <laughs> I was going to say, not Lindsey Graham, really? You guys will have me on every one of these from now on. If those things happen, oh, we'll so. be mentioning you in the same sentence as Joe Namath. <laughs> Jeez. And Nick, I, I can't imagine you're that optimistic, are you? I'm optimistic, but I, I, I have no predictions. What I'm focused on right now is uh, regardless of, of uh, the outcome, whether it's federal or it's state level uh, next Tuesday, uh, we have a lot of, we have a lot of work in front of us and uh, we're just going to continue. We're just going to take that next step. And I, I, I want to come back to 
what I think is really the most critical uh, uh, moment for cannabis, and that and that has been being deemed an essential business. Uh, again, uh, I, it, it hasn't been overnight. It, he, Chris is uh, a testament to this. He's been working on uh, legalization for for a long time, but it is a uh, it, it can't be underestimated as as to how important it is. And uh, regardless uh, of what happens on Tuesday, I, I think most of the government affairs professionals in the cannabis industry will uh, will just keep moving forward uh, with the momentum that we currently have. Excellent. And can I add one thing, which yeah. is, uh, I've said this all week, I'm going to say it on this one as well. Uh, if you haven't voted, go and vote. It doesn't matter which party you vote for, which way you lean, just go and vote. Uh, and if you are a cannabis voter, uh, this is a critically important uh, election for us as an industry. Uh, go out and vote. Uh, yes, co-sign all of that. Thank you guys so much. I think this has been a really informative chat. Um, David Culver, Chris Crane, John Sullivan, Nick Etten. Um, thank you guys so much. We'll be watching uh, very closely um, and maybe we can do a, a, another show after we all have calmed down and accepted everything. On December happened. 8th, maybe. On December 8th. Perfect. Yes, That's a significant day for you Sunday school students out there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thank you. And Anne, you were a thank wonderful co-host. So thank you for um, thank you very much. being my captain, my, co my captain for this, this uh, episode. <laughs> Thank you. My, my pleasure. All right. Well, thank you, folks. Uh, I believe we're going to sign off and, and, and have a great rest of the week and happy Halloween. When your life depends on it, when everything is on the line, you've got to get real about addiction treatment. Only Karen offers 65 years of medical expertise in evidence-based treatment with real proven results. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. So if you're ready for something real, visit caron.org slash real today. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. This episode is brought to you by Verizon. Get a Verizon Business Unlimited plan from the network businesses rely on. 
Hey, Monica, with 5G Ultra Wideband in many more cities, you get up to 10 times the speed at no extra cost. Hello, downloads in no time. Plus, unlimited premium data and hotspot data to keep the signal flowing and your teams going. Come in or book an appointment with a Verizon business expert to find the right plan for your team. 5G Ultra Wideband available in over 1,700 cities with Business Unlimited Pro 2.0 smartphone plan. Speed comparison is to median Verizon 4G LTE speeds. Download speeds may vary depending upon network and coverage conditions and content optimization for 5G Ultra Wideband.